0: Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I've um, been thinking about this uh, the last couple of weeks during the fast, um, and then uh, I got a, uh, an inbox from uh, Kendra. Kendra's there, right there. She's on, on the end the blue singing tonight, and, um, and got a great, great uh, inbox from her. She was one of the people who said, can we just keep going fast? I'm going to keep going my fast, and, um, and how God's really been ministering to her through this time. And basically um, encouraging her, I'll put, you, I'll put in my words what you said, to uh, get back to the ministry or the calling she's always had. And Kendra, um, she'll tell her testimony sometime. She needs to. And, uh, and we're going to have other people share their testimonies too this year. But, um, and, um, and how she was away from God and away from the house of God for a season due to what we call church hurt. People being hurt in the church from leadership or people or whatever, and people can be ugly and mean. And so she had been away, but her children were going to church here. And they're going here like a full year and asking mom come, mom come. And she didn't want to come. Well, she finally decides to come. And the day I come, and she can tell the story better, is the day I preached on why church. And here's a person that has all the reasons why she ain't going back to church no more ever again, but then comes to church and here's a message on why church. Don't tell me God don't orchestrate your steps. And I mean, that was two years ago, and we watched her grow and grow and grow since, but, but she just said, you know, I feel like God is revitalizing the ministry that, for all intents and purposes, was gone, was gone, and now it's coming back to me again. And I really felt like that is a word from the Lord for all of us, that, that, that you're going to start seeing and hearing more of that. God's going to start repositioning people back to where they're supposed to be. And matter of fact, our elders and pastors, we've been praying as a part of our confession. That Part of the prayer is that people that have been even church hurt, people have been wounded, people have been offended, that they'll find this place, that supernaturally or being invited, whatever, they'll come to this place, and they'll begin to learn and grow and that God would heal them and put them in their right positions again. God's people, they think it's over for them. They think it's over. They think they've gone too far or they're too far from God, but that's not the fact at all. God can still use us, and we're wounded when we understand our greatness. Amen. So I'm titling this message, Get Ready for the Comeback. Get Ready for the Comeback. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-six says, For you shall see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, right? But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are. Mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Now, if I had time, I'd break that all down for you. You've heard me break this description down before. But it's so powerful in itself because God doesn't choose like you choose. He doesn't choose like I choose. I choose, you know, if I needed help, i choose the one that really had the education. Or had the had the had the, the ability or the talent or the money to help me out of a situation. God doesn't choose like that. He chooses what He chooses. He chooses foolish things. He chooses things that people look as weak. He to put the shame to things that are mighty. He chooses things that people other people despise, and He does it for a purpose. Watch this, and here's the reason why: so that no flesh should glory in His presence. Somebody say Amen. In other words. It's God that gets the glory. You know it. God knows it. And you become a living testimony of God's goodness and greatness in your life because you recognize, I couldn't do this. No way. Especially if you've been one that's been, you know, run over by the devil a few times and, like, you know, been, been wounded or hurt and maybe not even serving God for a period, but he picks you back up and uses you again. You, of all people, know only God could do something like that. Because I know I'm talking to some people today that don't have a lot of self-worth. You think you do, but at the end of the day, you don't. Because when God asks you to do something great, you go, but not me, Lord. Why don't you ask somebody who really can do that, Lord? I'm not qualified for that. I don't have the, the the ability for that. I'm not smart enough. I certainly don't have the education for that. I don't have the money for that. Ask somebody else to do it. We begin to go through that litany of um, of, 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 of of almost like a a, a self um, defeatism, or or we begin to we don't see ourselves the way God sees ourselves. And so as a result of that, we constantly give God excuses, but not because we want to give him excuses. It's because we don't see anything great about us. God called you to do something great, the first thing comes to your mind, but you know, who am I? Who am I really? Church, it's important to note that God takes his power, his ability, God takes his anointing, okay? That's, that means that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power, and he hides it in things that are not, that are not great. In other words, he hides them in things that are common, that are normal, that you would never think could greatness come out of that. Jesus came from from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth, they said? How is that even possible? But we look and we see this all throughout the scriptures. It's God's miracle ability to use something that looks so just common. So Moses has a staff. And that staff becomes very important. It was just nothing more than a staff. To walk with, that's all it was. But that staff becomes incredibly important to Moses. And and when Moses has that staff in his hand, God's anointing is upon that staff. And one day he has to face Pharaoh and he says, God came to me, the great I am told me to tell you to let my people go. And who is he who is I am? I don't know, he's just I am. He's Jehovah, that's all I can tell you. And he said, he said, watch this. And, and, and he said, our, God, our gods can do this. And they took the magician's staff and threw them down and they became snakes. And Moses took his staff and threw it down and it also became a snake. But the thing is that his snake ate up all of Pharaoh's snakes. Did y'all know that? His snake defeats the rest. In other words, that staff seems so common, but there's a power. There's a lesson there. There's something there. And then when they couldn't go any further and up against the Red Sea, and they know they're going to be killed because the, the army of, of Egypt is after them. They can't move forward anymore, and they certainly can't go backwards. And so they're caught between a rock and a hard place. And God says, why do you cry to me? Lift up your staff. What's in your hand? My staff. He said, I'll take that, and you divide the waters. And he took the staff and divided the waters, and they split in two, and they walked across on the dry ground, the Bible says, until they were totally safe on the other side. In other words, something so common as a staff, God anoints and God gives power and ability. The tabernacle is another thing that looks so common. To put the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, at least that was overlaid with gold, and it was beautiful, and it was, it was, it was ornate, and it had angels on top of which formed the mercy seat. And inside, there were special uh, tablets of uh, the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod that budded, and we had a, a, a jar of manna that was in that, inside the Ark of the Covenant. And, and they, they were to take that and put it inside something called a tabernacle. But to look at the tabernacle, it looked worse than all the other tents that were around. It was nothing more than a tent, It was a temporary dwelling for God in the wilderness. It was overlaid, the Bible says, were dried up badger skin. It was not appealing. It probably didn't smell too good either. But in there is where God chose to dwell and lead Israel for all time. How about Jesus, who is the greatest force that ever has come in the earth, the living embodiment of God, the Son of God, on planet earth from heaven's throne to earth to rule and to reign, to become the ultimate sacrifice. But he was not born in a palace. Where was he born? In a stable. Something so common. Don't tell me that God can't take what's common and put his anointing and blessing. If you feel like you're common, you're in right company. I feel that way about our church the same way. We may not have everything else that others have, but we do have God. And if God be for us, then who can be against us? And the truth of the matter is, the truth, truth of the matter is, I've always felt like I was the little boy. I got a word like that, the little boy who had the two fish and the five loaves and, and went to and Jesus, and Jesus said, I could use that. And they they took his two fish and five loaves and, and they were they multiplied it, they blessed it and multiplied and felled, was able to feed a multitude with two fish and five loaves. Don't tell me God can't take what's common if you put it in his hand and then bless it. And we've seen out of that the beginning days when nobody knew who we were and did not care. And I do not blame them. And we came to the city with nothing but God. Didn't know nobody. Didn't have no money. Just came in here believing God. And out of all that, we've seen hundreds and thousands of people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? Don't tell me God can't use something that's common. And you know, chaos may seem out of, like it's out of control. When you walk into a time of chaos, it may look like everything's just really out of control. But did you know there can you can actually find greatness in the chaos? And greatness does, does not always look like like greatness at first glance. Israel right now is at the wailing wall and they're praying right now for the messiah to come and you know why? Because they missed him when he walked among them 2,000 years ago because they were looking for a stately king. But the Bible says he came and he was common. Matter of fact, Josephus talks about that in his writing, that he was common. Isaiah talks about it in his writing, that the Messiah to come would be someone you would look upon and he would not be calmly or, or a particular way that you go, wow, he's got to be the one because he looks a certain way. But Jesus dwelt among them, looked like them. But when you got to know him, you knew something was different about him. But if he never took the time, you just think he's just another one walking among them. And so Israel missed their time to receive the Messiah because they were looking for something that was already great. But they didn't recognize that God hid greatness in something that looked so common. A 15-year-old girl by the name of Mary is the one that received the word when the Spirit of God came upon her. And the angel showed up and said, Mary, you're greatly favored of God. She's a teenage kid that's been promised to get married when she's of age to a man named Joseph who was nothing more than a carpenter in his day, a man that just worked with his hands every day. And she said, Lord, be it to me as you have spoken. And in that moment, the Spirit of God overshadowed her, and she became pregnant with the Son of God. God hides greatness in what looks so common. Matthew 13, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. So he takes the treasure he has and he hides it in this field for the joy. Over it, He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In other words, he's willing to buy the whole field for the treasure that's been hidden in it. Why not just dig the the treasure up? He wants to make sure the treasure is secure. It's in a place that he knows, and he buys the whole field to make sure it stays right where it needs to be. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he has found one pearl of great price... Went and sold all that he had and bought it. In other words, he sees the greatness inside of it. A jeweler can look and see a a lump of of what comes out of a coal, which is a diamond, but in its raw form. It doesn't look like much. It doesn't sparkle. It doesn't twinkle. But he looks and he can see the greatness that's inside of that. Like a master sculptor, he knows what can come out of it. He knows uh, the, 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 the value of the gem that he holds in his hand. The same thing is with God. We may look like to others, like a lump Of coal, or may feel like we're just a lump of coal, but when God looks it up, come on, and holds it up to light, goes, No, 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 this thing has great value. (laughs) Your worth was so valuable that only God could pay the price for your redemption. Did you know that? When God could look no higher, He looked to Himself. And he brought himself to earth. Jesus came to earth. And when he came to earth, he became, Jesus is the most valuable thing. The son of God is the most valuable thing to the father. And Jesus became the ultimate price for you and for me. And when he sees value, he wants to fill the value. So Jesus comes, we get saved the result, but we don't, we're not left empty. The Holy Spirit comes in us. And know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Everywhere you go, God goes. Don't tell me you're not valuable. You're so valuable, God lives inside of you. Yes, he does. And I thank God that even beyond our mistakes and our problems and our sin and the things we go, he sees the heart of the person and goes, but I know who they are and they're my children, and I still dwell in them. The Bible says that I and the Father will come and make my, our abode in you. I and the Father is the Holy Ghost, comes and lives and makes our abode in you or abide in you, which means to make a permanent dwelling. He's got no desire, come on, to live there for a little while and then move on to something better. Oh, y'all should have shouted on that. He doesn't look to see if the grass is greener on the other side. He chose you. You might be a foolish thing right now, hallelujah. But there's greatness inside of you. It says here, and this is where we're going to take most of our text from tonight, and we'll be done soon. Judges 16:1 says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the, the, the Gazites were told, Samson. Uh, has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city of the gate, gate of the city. And they were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it's daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he rose uh, at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces the Hebrons. And then afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Serech, Whose name was Delilah. And the by the way, you know what Delilah's name is, right? You You know, you know what it means, the definition of Delilah? It means the flirt. It literally is the definition of Deliah, the flirt. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 11 pieces of silver. She could become very rich over the fact that she gives up the secret of the strength of her boyfriend, who happens to be Samson. Well, Samson's got no business dating, having sexual relations with anybody outside of his wife, let alone a known prostitute. It's an amazing thing. So he goes, and he's told not to go mingle with the, uh, with the Philistines, but he decides that he just couldn't get his, he could not get his eyes off them Philistine women. I don't know what it was. That's what he liked. And so he went there, and his flesh was overcome. That's what he wanted. And he, he just believed that he could kind of, he was different than everybody else. He was special, and so therefore, he could get away with certain things that others couldn't get away with, and so he's got someone now that he's actually got a heart for, and, uh, and now she's beginning to want to betray him. It's a pretty painful thing when those you love and think you can trust are actually plotting to betray you. Some people know what that feels like in this room, and... He told, he told his secret to her. He, she, he, she said, come here, baby. And she, He laid his head in her lap. It must have been one massage, one great massage on his head because he just was ah, oh, whatever you want to know. And he told her, my secret is in my hair. If I cut my hair, I'll have no strength, okay? Look over verse number 21. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. Wow. The first thing that happens, Now, I wanna, I, I, there's so much I want to say about this. Samson is the 12th judge of Israel. I'll talk about this in just a moment, but I want you to get the picture. He's a judge over Israel. He's messing around with a woman who's not his wife, but he's done this before. And it's almost like God allows him to get away with it. How many knows that's just not true? There, there was mercy God lends to people to make it right. It's like a credit card, and after a little bit of using that credit card, you use it all up, and now it's all gone, and now you got to pay that sucker off. Okay, so he is, in the, he's he's done this before, gotten away with it every single time. Well, Delilah uh, asked him, "What is the strength? What did he tell me? I mean, have you mean you say you know, you say you love me, but you won't tell me the secret to your strength?" and a couple times, he tells her what she wants to hear, but it's not the truth. And each time, the Philistines lay wait, and he just beats them in the next week, boy. He, he God comes upon him. His strength is there, and he just beats them up. But after the third time of asking, now you think, why would I trust this woman? She's obviously setting me up. Wow. she. I mean, anyway, my thoughts, but anyways. So... I think I wouldn't do this, but this is what he's doing. The third time she's, "Come on, now you've lied to me. Quit lying to me. I thought we loved one another. You can tell me anything. He's got his head in the lap of the flirt. You can't be flirting with sin and think that what was there yesterday is going to stay on you forever. And I know a lot a lot of people who walk with God pretty tight and the anointing with God was on them, and even while they're in sin, the anointing was still there, but one day they woke up and the anointing was gone. There's no more, no more anointing upon their lives. Now they're just polyparent what other people say. And so he says, it's in my hair. And she cuts his locks off, seven locks, boom, 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 cuts them off. And the Philistines come, and they capture him. He gets up like he thought he could every single time to whip them, and he has no strength to do it. And the first thing they do is put his eyesight out the first thing that the, the devil will always try to do is to put the vision of God out of our lives. For without a vision, we perish. Always the case, always will be the case. And if, you, if your if you're, if vision's no longer there, there's no more hope to move on. And that's when people backslide. That's when they go away. That's when they stop reading their Bible. They don't come to church no more, and they move away from God. So they take his sight from him and brought him down to Gaza, Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, everybody say however. however. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. It was almost like God just waved his hand over the Philistines to forget about his hair. Because we got his eyes. We got his vision. But they didn't recognize that if his hair would ever grow back, his strength would come back upon him. Everybody say, it's time for a comeback. For a comeback. Even if the enemy stolen your vision, even if the enemy has taken you out, even what you trusted people and they betrayed you behind your back, I'm here to tell you, it's a seasonal comeback for you and me. Yes. Verse 25, so it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. Now he's nothing more than a circus monkey. That's who he's become. And they said, uh, "Called." they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And it's just like um, uh, back in the day, uh, this would be way before our time, but this is what you read in, in books. Um, uh, like Wild Bill Hiccup. You ever, you ever hear this guy before? You've heard him before, Wild Bill. And so... After a while, he becomes, he's moving now into the, the 20th century and the cowboy era is going down. So, what he would do is he became an actor and he would begin to act out the stuff when he fought with Indians and other people and pillaging. And, 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 and he would act out his scenes and then become a dramatic actor. And he told his stories all across America. So, he became a performer. That's what it reminds me of. He got relegated to be nothing but a, the great Samson who would who beat off a 1,000 of our soldiers with a, with a dried-up jawbone of a donkey that he found. Killed them all. We got him. He's right over there. He'll perform for us. The man who would rip the posts out of the ground, we got him over there. He, he's going to perform for us. And so people would come and see him from everywhere in this big arena. And so they, had, they stationed him, the Bible said, between the pillars. Why do people want to come to celebrate your captivity? Why is it that people, we live in a time in a world where they can't wait for you to get bound. Can't wait for you to get in trouble. Can't wait to hear something bad news going on in your life. It's like your downfall becomes their entertainment. And so what you've got to learn is saying, I will not dance the dance. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be their entertainment. Because watch this. When you Watch this. Every time you retort back. When they say what they want to say, let them say what they want to say. You move on and have a little grace and mercy. Let God be the vengeance and cover everything. But when you retort back, you're doing the dance. You're trying to entertain them, and they love it. You hear these celebrities now and say, it's so weird. We can't even be on our own Twitter pages because it's so bad. We read all this negative stuff. It's negative, 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 negative. I mean just the most foul language telling you all. People who don't even know you. Yes. Think they know you and just tell you. Blah, blah. And they said, I've heard them say this. And I responded one time and I just put a like. I liked one of their negative statements just to just get back. I liked the statement like that. And the guy went, wow, I can't believe you like my stuff. I was just kidding about that. You're my favorite actor ever. People use, that's, that's you can't even get a response out of that. It's that stupid, but they believe negativity at least gets a response. Don't respond to that negativity. Let God position you. Amen, somebody? One of the things that you've got to recognize is not everybody's going to be for you, and that's okay. You don't need everybody to pat you on the back. I love everybody in this room. And I want everybody in this room to love me. That's my human nature. I want everybody to love me too. But I've learned I'm a little more mature than that. I've learned not everybody in this room is for Jeff Pruitt. Well, we're here, aren't we? No, just because you're here don't mean you're for me. I'm looking for people that even if I make mistakes, they go, I don't care. He's my friend. I love him. He's my pastor. I'm still going to be there for him. I, I, don't you want that in a friend? That's the kind of thing or covenant that we're actually looking for that you give people a breathing room to even make mistakes. By the way, not all the things you think they made a mistake is actually a mistake. It's just the way you perceived it. Because you don't have all the answers. You don't know exactly. My mother used to say, you've not walked a mile in their shoes. Amen. I'd say the old timer said that, but my mother said that and she watches this. She'd be mad that I said the old timer, so I won't say that. But you got to be careful cuz not everybody's for you. So if I live for people to pat me on the back, I would stop doing this a long time ago. I wouldn't I walked away a long time ago. No, I want God to pat me on the back. See? There are some around you who don't want you to recover. Don't want you to be redeemed. Don't want you to get back on your feet. Not interested that you got your 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 um your good testimony now. They don't want you to get back up. Guess what? Love them anyways. Um uh, Verse 26, by the way, I will tell you this too. I had a young girl, I don't think she's here tonight, but I, I had a young teenage girl, 13, 12, 13 years old, she might have been just, just 13, a kid, and her father uh, asked me if I could meet with her. This was about maybe a month and a half or so ago, and that she was suicidal. I said, yes, I'll meet, I'll meet with her. So... um Met with her dad and her sister and her together because she want to be by herself, which is good because I'd have to have somebody in the room anyways with me. But we met, and so, you know, kids sometimes have a hard time getting talking, so I had to kind of open it up a little bit. And she's saying, well, all the kids make fun of me for this, that, and the other, and, and I, I ended up telling uh, somebody. I, the ironic thing is that somebody had, she found somebody was, uh, was uh, suicidal. They had sent, can you this is what the kids go through today. It's just craziness that this girl sent a naked picture of herself, 13 years old. I'm just going, this is just craziness. Sends a naked picture of herself to somebody. That then, of course, goes everywhere through the school. Kids don't understand this stuff. Goes all the way through the school. Now she's being made fun of, especially by all the other females. Okay? So now it's so bad that she wants to commit suicide. So the girl that goes to our church tells a counselor because that's what they're supposed to do. Hey, she's suicidal because this that, and the other. Then they found out that she told on that she was the one that told on them. So and they got all corrected because of it. And now they're now taunting her. And so now she becomes suicidal, which I don't know why that's even the go-to with these kids today. That's like the go-to. I mean like but that's what that's the world they live in right now. And that's what we got to pray for our kids because that's that's the reality of it. So uh, I said, I said, look, what you got to do, and I said a lot of things. It's just by the spirit of God, but I said a lot of things to her. I said, well, you got to understand. I said, none of those people, none of those people have. I said, what do, what do you want to do in life? Well, I want to be a stock car driver. My dad was that. I said, you want to drive a car? She goes, I want to go fast. I said, all right. You want to be a stock car? That's a great vision. I said, Hey, my vision, but that's your vision. That's great. I said, it's cool. I said, I would not let not one person ever get in the way of my vision to be a stock car driver. I don't care who they are. Who do they? Yes, yeah, so you've got to get the mindset is, who do they think they are making me feel this way that I can't have a future? And boy, she smiles so she's never saw that before. I said, "Live for the dream that God puts in your heart." And I said, "One day you'll outlive all your critics. That's how you make things right. Outlive them. Let God see them bless you, man." She ain't have one. She told me from then on. She tells me all the time. She writes me every now and again. She told me, "Man, that set her straight. She's never dealt with any type of uh, suicide ever again." Somebody say, "Amen." Isn't that good. Well. Same is true for all of you. Why let one bad person, bad marriage partner, bad whatever, a boss, bad former pastor, any of that get in your way of your destiny? Then Samson said to the lad, this is verse 26, who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray, strengthen me. I pray just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them one on his right hand, the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's, and all the people were in it. So the the dead that that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Simply put, God can use you even greater After all the darkness you've been going through, he can use you greater than he had ever before. The point of it is, church, that's good. He can use you greater after every disappointment you've ever had. He can use you greater than the heartbreak you went through. He can use you greater than the letdown you've been a part of and disappointment. He can use you greater than the betrayal you walked through, greater than the hurt you've been through. God is the God who redeems things back to himself and makes them greater. The judges were a precursor to the kings in the time of of Samson. So God ultimately, ultimately wanted to be the king over Israel. But they said, let us have a ruler. We want to be like other nations. And so he allowed them to have judges. That would be one that would sit between God and the priests and and the people and would judge over Israel. But God wanted a theocracy. God rules, speaks to his, his, his priests and prophets, and then that's disseminated and that's what people are to do. But they wanted Others And so before the kings, there were judges. Now, Samson was the 12th judge. 12 always represents governmental or government. In other words, government is what brings order into a society, okay? So we need to, in order for us to see the, the breakthrough, the miracle, this comeback anointing that we're talking about, we have to allow God this year to put things in order or back in order in our lives, I cannot say that enough. Uh, on Vision Sunday, you'll you'll see what I'm saying, and you'll go, oh, this makes sense because there's some order to this, what we're, what we're doing and where we're going. The same is true in your own personal lives. Allow God to begin to speak to you about what's the next step. And it may be so simple. Don't think so out here. Just go, what's the next step? And then let him begin to order your steps, the steps of a good man or woman. Righteous men and women are ordered of the Lord. That means to be put into a systematic arrangement. Okay, so there is a strategy to this thing, right? So that's the next thing that God is going to begin to do. Matter of fact, that's how miracles come. Remember when Jesus was going to do the miracle and and, and feeding the of the, of the two fish and five loaves to the multitude? But before he did that, what did he do? He organized. He put order in the crowd and he put them in groups of fifties. Bible said, remember, and tens. He had them sit down in a place of Order, because when there's order, things work. Anything that's out of order doesn't work. It's not possible, right? Everything has to be in its place. So what God's doing with us this year is getting things back in place again. Most of it's just us. Getting our prayer life back. Getting our time of study back with God. Uh, I don't want to give away what I'm saying about the vision, but there's going to be a lot of that. Getting things back in order, putting things back, Um, loving one another again. Getting that judgmental stuff out of our hearts, you know. It, let me just tell you something about, if you find yourself so, and everybody gets like this. I'm not picking on nobody. Everybody gets like this, right? I have friends, and they come to me, and I don't know what it is. They just want to rip on Joel Olstein. I'm thinking, you are of the devil. How can you hate Joel Olstein? He's the greatest. He is, we, just, we know it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Joel Olstein. Everybody knows this. I mean, he's just a perfect person, right? So I'm kidding, of course. But I, my point is, he's such a good man. And they say, well, he didn't say this, and he didn't do that. He's just all nicey-nicey. We need to hear hellfire and brimstone. And, and I'm going, guys, everybody has an anointing. Look, let him do him. I mean, it's what God told him to do. What do you want to tell you? He does good at it. He's going to get the ear of people you're never going to get. And we don't want a bunch of you. We don't want a bunch of me. We don't even want a bunch of Joel. Everybody needs to be who God's called them to be. Leave Joel alone. Amen. Joel, if you're watching this, praise God, you can send an offering. Faith Builders International Ministry right here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hallelujah. I think I th- I don't know, but then I go. The reason why people get so judgmental is because they're they're, they're in their own life is not in order, and they're wonder why things aren't working, and they're frustrated. And when things aren't working, you become frustrated. You start to blame other people or look to blame other people. So you, when when I hear that, I automatic. I, you, you think what happens is what you think is you're actually making yourself look better by downing somebody else or dissing someone else. The truth is you're exposing what's really. Going going on in you so let's not be that this year let's get rid of that judgment out of our lives could be that simple unforgiveness getting in a place of forgiveness um it could be as simple as as god told you to to um to uh, start care ministry in your home and and to bring people in and tell them about the lord and and maybe invite them over for dinner once a month whatever i don't know what it is but being obedient to what he asks you to do that's all we got to do talking to the elders and pastors. I said, guys, all we've got to do is be obedient to what he asks us to do. That's all he requires. Amen. So Samson, he took the Nazarite vow, and the Nazarite vow, vow was to touch no dead thing, right? He was to drink no alcohol. I wonder if you all could take the Nazarite vow <laughs> this year. I used to preach on alcohol. I, I used to preach on it, and I would look at people, and they're looking, you can preach anything you want, but you ain't taking my beer away from me. You are not taking my beer. Look, I, I'm. I, this is how I feel about alcohol. You all are grown adults. Y'all want to drink alcohol that's between you and God? Because you, you, ain't gonna, there was alcohol drinking in the Bible. So you, I already know the scriptures. Y'all, I know them really well. I also do know this, that the alcohol in the Bible was very low dosage of alcohol, very low. The fermenting process is not like it is today. So there wasn't a lot there. You had to drink a lot of wine to get drunk, lots and lots and lots of wine, okay? So it's not, it wasn't irresponsible, right? But we have Christians that drink irresponsibly. Maybe that's one thing God's dealing with you on. Praise God. So take your Nazarite vow. Praise God. No drinking this year. Touch no dead thing. And then, of course, the other thing was not to cut his hair. Okay? So, but but the power, church, was not in him not cutting the hair. The power was not in him not drinking the wine or touching the dead thing. The power was not about that it was about his heart being obedient to what God asked him to do. Samson's hair was an outward sign of the inward covenant that God had made with him. He was simply being obedient to God and the obedience is what gained him the power. God will always give a sign outwardly what he has done uh, inwardly, okay? Whatever he's whatever he's done inside you will manifest outside of you. There'll always be a sign. For instance, in this church, and I, I'm going to close here. Uh, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. So we believe that, that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Okay? So the gift of tongues or speaking in tongues is an outward sign of an inward work of the Holy Spirit. It's only a manifestation of what's happened in me because people can mock. I've seen comedians mock and speak in tongues, okay? So you can learn to do that, but that's not the power of the Holy Spirit. So it has to be something that's done inside. Abraham had a covenant with God. There was an outward manifestation of the inward work of God, and in those days it was called circumcision. So circumcision, as you know, was the foreskin skin of a man's organ. Now, we know that today. It's, it's pretty common practice today. But in those days, men had not had that done. So men, not children, but men had to be circumcised. And it was a sign of the covenant of God. And, and I could go in a great teaching about that. Why was it there? Because in a sexual order, because that's where life came. That's where the seed came forth. So it was a covenant with God that everything come, this forth, comes forth now, comes forth in life, comes through the covenant. That's why it's important who you sleep with. That's a whole other teaching by itself. Because you come in covenant with the people you sleep with. So when you sleep with people, you're no longer sleeping with them. And you haven't repented. You must repent. Don't tell them what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm telling you what the Bible says to do. Repent of the sin. Why? Because you are going to be forever linked. It's called a soul tie. You'll be linked to that person. Then you wonder why why I can't break certain things and certain patterns in my life. You're linked. You are one with that person. Amen. Amen. And it was a blood covenant because there was a sign there was blood that actually was spilled when a male, male was circumcised, right? And now then, I'll give you a little bit of another hand. That's why when God wants, the perfect way to get together is through being two virgins coming together. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got five amens. In 2020, I got five amens. Yes. It's the perfect way. Because a woman has a hymen, praise God. And when, the, the, when there is uh, the sexual act, their blood is spilt. It's the sign of the covenant. God knows what he's doing. Now then, that was old covenant. In the new covenant, he says, I, I will circumcise your hearts. Right? So he's saying, I do an inward work. But the sign now will not be a circumcision of the flesh but how we know you've been circumcised as a heart are by your works. We won't know who you are. I don't know what kind of fruit tree that is until the the tree bears fruit. Now I go, oh, that's an apple tree, and that's a pear tree, and that's an orange tree, and that's a lemon tree. Come on. Why? You shall know them by their fruits. So that's how we know if you have a circumcised heart, a covenant with God, a heart that is for God. I had somebody ask me this week and uh, and, and asked me and said, "I'm trying to teach my children, and um, can you help me here? Because my whole life, I, 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 according to Matthew chapter six about forgiveness, that if you don't forgive, you can go to hell because you haven't forgiven." And um, but then I read chapter eight of the Book of Romans that said. That uh, nothing will separate you from the love of God, ever. And I said, it's easy. I said, you gotta conflate the two. I said, uh, it's, it's, it's just theology number one, 101. Um, God's saying it, he is saying the same thing, but you gotta hear what he's saying. In other words, if you can't forgive others, the Bible says in Matthew 6, you cannot be forgiven of God. Pretty harsh. But then nothing will separate you from the love of God. The truth is, if you have a relationship, a real born-again relationship with God, then you know the depth of his love. And if you know the depth of his love, you know the depth of his mercy and his grace to forgive you of sin. And if you know the depth of the forgiveness of your sin, it's easy to forgive someone else's sin. And if you can't forgive somebody else, it's because you really don't know the depth of his love. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good answer right there. But my point is, my point is, is that that's how we know. There's always going to be an outward sign to others. Do people know you're born again? Well, I tell them all the time. No, I know. No. You show them the fruit. Are you loving and kind? Are you are you are you giving? Are you forgiving? Right? And on and on and on it goes. That's so much I want to share with you guys. That's as far as we can go tonight. Did y'all enjoy it?